0: Well, today we conclude our three-part series. Does anybody remember the title? It starts with an E. There's two words that start with E. What's that? Oh, it's on the screen. Sneaky. Although I guess we do that every week. You know what I've noticed? When I'm sitting down there, I'll more more often than not be watching the screen instead of the person who's standing here doing the live thing. Where do you guys look? Do you look at the screen or do you look at the person who's up here? Okay, Both. It's amazing how there's a special music at the piano. Where am I looking? The screen. We're just trained, I guess. Sarah doesn't like it when we go to the restaurants that have all these TVs and stuff because I get so distracted. Oh, sports. Oh, what's going on? (laughs) Maybe some of you can relate. So, for those of you that can read, Everyone's Essential, Part 3. In Part 1, we talked about how God has called his people in the Old Testament, New Testament era, to be a part of this priestly kingdom, this royal priesthood. Everybody was called. In Part 2, last week, we talked about, through the Holy Spirit, how God has wanted to give everybody gifts. If you've received God into your life, You've accepted the Holy Spirit, you have been gifted, whether you realize it or not, spiritually. And each gift is essential. God needs all the parts of the body for the body to be whole. So whether you have an upfront gift or a behind the scenes gift, your gifting by God is essential. Now, just by show of hands, who remembered to do the spiritual gifts inventory? A couple of hands. Some of you may have taken the paper home if you don't do the internet. That's okay. Fill that out. We have a few more out on the lobby greeting table. Spiritual gifts inventory. Help you better understand how God has given you talents and abilities and spiritual gifts. Uh, And then when you've completed it, let me know. But if you've done it online, I already know. And it's super cool. I can see um, the various gifts and I say, wow, that's that's. That's so true. Anita, I saw yours, I was like, yeah. I I think that's right on. Um, And then you can talk to someone about it. In fact, I'm just going to put a couple slides on the screen just to remind you how to get there. So this is our Parkwood website. And on the right side at the top, you click the Resources tab, and then you click Spiritual Gifts Survey. And what does it lead you to? A page like this where you can take the assessment. And I think you can do it in about 15 minutes. Some may be faster, some may be slower. But, just another way to learn how God has gifted you. Well, today we get into part three. Because God hasn't just given us gifts for no reason. He's given them to us for a purpose. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 1. Luke 15 and verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. The hymn here is Jesus. They're gathering around to listen to Jesus. And notice how these people are described. They're called tax collectors and what? Sinners. So the tax collectors were lumped in with the sinners. And in my Bible, I'm reading from the NIV today, it has the sinners in quotation marks because it's giving you a little bit of the idea or the uh, emotions or the feelings. Feelings, the quote, sinners. They were viewed as sinners. Verse 2 But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. What was their attitude? They didn't like it. They did not like it one bit. This guy is hanging out with some pretty seedy characters. Now, for Jesus, in truth, since he was not a sinner, anybody he hung out with would be a sinner, right? But he was hanging out with people that the goody two-shoes, the so-called righteous Pharisees considered sinful. They didn't think it was right. But why was Jesus hanging out with them? Why was he hanging out with these people that were viewed as sinful? He loved them, yeah. Because he was hanging out, not for just the purpose of hanging out. He wanted to love them, and he wanted to win them. Sometimes in our effort to live a Christian life, we feel like we should only hang out with people who believe exactly how we do. We get uncomfortable. Oh no, they believe different than me. Uh, I don't want to hang around them. But how are we going to show people the love of Jesus if we don't hang around other people? But notice as we continue here. In response, verse 3, then Jesus told them a parable. So it's in response to the accusation that he's hanging out with the wrong crowd that Jesus tells a parable. Now, notice the text does not say Jesus was doing the same sinful things as these people. He wasn't hanging out with them and doing what they were doing. But amazingly, they liked his company. They liked him being with them. Sometimes when you make a stand for Jesus, the people that you were friends with before won't want to be around you because they'll feel like, even if you're the most loving person, they'll feel like you're judging them. And that's unfortunately how things go. But Jesus was able to hang around people who knew that he didn't approve of their lifestyle, but he was so loving that they wanted him to be around. That's the kind of Christians that Jesus wants us to be. The kind that are so loving and so winsome that even people who know they're doing wrong they still want you to be around because of who you are. That's the goal. I want that in my own life. Jesus was able to do that. But in response to the accusation that, that he's just hanging out with the wrong crowd and, and these people aren't worthy of being hung around, Jesus tells a story. Verse 4 Suppose one of you has how many sheep? A hundred and loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He's telling a story, uh, a situation, that was very reasonable for them in that day. It was something that they could relate to. And it was something that seemed kind of like an obvious answer. Yeah, of course, you would leave all the sheep Presumably, you're not going to be losing them while you go get the other. But you do that because you want to get all of your sheep. You don't want to lose any of your sheep. Now, I was reading the, something from the commentator Adam Clark, and he had spent some time around sheep, and this is what he said. He said, No creature strays more easily than a sheep. None is more heedless and none so incapable of finding its way back to the flock. Once it goes astray, he said, It will bleat for the flock and still run in an opposite direction to the place where the flock is. This I have often noticed. Goes astray, it's crying out, but doesn't realize it's going in the wrong direction, but keeps on going. Have you ever been like that? Straying from God? Trying to find your way, but going even further in the wrong direction? Verse 5, and when he finds it, it doesn't say if he finds it, the shepherd will find the sheep. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Notice the emotion there, joyful. It doesn't say he takes out a whip, as I'm going to teach you a lesson. He joyfully picks it up. And carries it home. And of course, you realize the spiritual idea behind this parable. We're talking about people here. The shepherd, the good shepherd, is none other than Jesus. But sometimes when we stray from God, we feel like God's out to get us. And we feel like we gotta get our life back in order before we can come back to God. But who does the initiating in the story? It's Jesus. It's the shepherd. It's the one who's seeking out. He's the one who goes and then when he finds the lost sheep, joyfully carries it back. Look at verse 6. He goes home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Heaven gets so excited when we come back to God. It doesn't say, and heaven started judging us and listing off all our sins and the angels are saying, God, are you sure you really wanna bring that person back? You know what they've done. No, they rejoice. Rejoice. I've found my lost sheep. Verse 7 I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus told the story in response to people who were criticizing him for hanging out with what appeared to be the wrong crowd. So, what was he really saying to the religious leaders? He was saying, everybody's essential. I'm here to save everybody. And where there are lost souls, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. But I noticed something awesome from the writings of Ellen White. If you've ever read the book, Christ's Object Lessons, you may remember some of these words. But if you haven't, this is a really good one. If you've never read anything from her writings, this might be a good one because it's just about the parables of Jesus and practical Applications for today. Let me read you something. We'll put it up on the screen here. From Christ's Object Lessons, I believe, page 187. Let me go back. Okay, I have two different quotations for you. We're going to read this one first. These souls whom you despise, said Jesus, In regards to the religious leaders who despised those who were viewed as sinners. These souls whom you despise are the property of whom? Of God. By creation and redemption, they are his and they are of value in his sight. And as the shepherd loves his sheep and cannot rest, even if one is missing, so, in an infinitely higher degree, does God love every outcast soul. Isn't that good news? And it continues, Men can deny the claims of his love. They may wander from him. They may choose another master, yet when they are gods, and he long, yet they are gods, and he longs to recover his own. You can deny how much God loves you, but he still keeps on loving you. Let me finish out the quotation with this next slide. He says, As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep, that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And there she's actually quoting from the book of Ezekiel because in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, that's what God says. He says, I'm a shepherd and I'm gonna seek out my people because God cares about everybody. Everybody's essential to God. And if one person is lost, God will miss them forever in his heart. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, it says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God seeks out every single one. And now let me show you this next quotation, also from the book, Christ's Object Lessons. If you've ever been discouraged because of your failures and you're straying from God, this will give you some encouragement. Desponding soul, person who's discouraged. Take courage. Even though you have done wickedly, do not think that perhaps God will pardon your trans- do not think that perhaps God will pardon your transgressions and permit you uh, to come into His presence. God has made the first advance. In other words, God takes the initiative. Don't think that you have to get everything right before you come back to God. God has already taken the initiative in your life while you were in rebellion against Him. He went forth to seek you. With a tender heart of a shepherd, he left the 99 and went out to the wilderness to find that which was lost. The soul, bruised and wounded and ready to perish, he encircles in his arms of love and joyfully bears it to the fold of safety. You may have messed up for the thousandth time, big time, but God has already been seeking you. And when he finds you, he joyfully brings you back. And notice here again, who takes the initiative? God does. God takes the initiative. Now, the sheep can refuse to be rescued, but if it doesn't refuse, it's rescued. There's a lot that we could think about there. God's trying to save all because everybody is essential. God what does John 3:16 say for God so loved only a select group the world and then the next verse for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that only a small group of people should be saved that all the intent of God is to save every single person who responds because everybody's essential to God. We heard the scripture read so nicely this morning. God doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. And, and let's turn to this next one 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's kind of towards the end of your Bible, and we're going to go to uh, verses 3 and 4. You may notice that the T's in the New Testament are all grouped together first and second Thessalonians first and second Timothy and then there's Titus but we're in second Timothy excuse me first Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 First Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants how many people to be saved all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God, his desire is that everybody accept, that everybody come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, because all are essential to God and we are his followers, how important should other people be to us? How important? Very important. Everybody should be essential to us also. Even if we disagree with them, even when we see them on the news and we say, Oh, I hate that person. We should be praying for that person. Praying and asking God to be in their life and to bring them to a knowledge of the truth. We should be working for the salvation of the world. We've been given that great commission. We talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. And you're familiar with, with Jesus' words in Matthew 28. Go into all nations and make disciples. Or what about Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You shall be my witnesses into all the earth. But you know, it's interesting and it's unfortunate. Uh, Barna Research has been tracking the spiritual decisions and beliefs of churched and unchurched people for a long time. And back in 19... 19- 93. Nine out of 10 Christians said, yep, it's essential that every Christian share their faith. Today, it's only six out of 10 say it's essential. Six out of 10 Christians say, yeah, it's essential to share my faith. But the other one third, they say, eh, not a big deal. It's a big deal to God. If God has put his love in our hearts, how could we not have that same love to go after the lost sheep? Because God came after us, pursues us day after day. So why does God give us spiritual gifts? Why does he give us the Holy Spirit to help us? It's not so that we can put on talent shows. It's so that we can better minister To the world. We need the Holy Spirit not only for us, but we need the Holy Spirit so that we have something to share, so that we have the power to share. We need to be reading our Bibles each day, not only so that we have spiritual strength for us, but so that we have something to share to the lost world. We come to church not just so that we can see our friends but so that we can encourage the others that are here and so that we can participate in a body of people organized, trying to reach out to our community. We get involved because the goal is finding those lost sheep. I'm reminded of another statement by the the writings of Ellen White where she said, Jesus saw in every person a soul that he wanted to save. He looked at everybody, no matter how good or how bad they are, and he thought to himself, I want them to be saved. It's easy for us to look at other people and say, ah, they're just that or this or the other thing. But when we look at people, we need to see them as sheep that God wants to bring into his fold, that God wants to save. By the way, I filled up the glow for those uh, People who love passing out glow or leaving it places for people to find. That's a part of finding lost sheep. I brought something with me today as we close. Can you see what this is? Those of you that are a little bit closer, it's kind of shiny. This is a basketball card. I used to collect them when I was young. Uh, This one is a guy named Tracy McGrady. Some of you might remember him. I think my friend gave this to me. I wasn't necessarily a huge fan. Uh, But I looked it up. I think it's worth about $65, which is pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I've got another one that's probably worth hundreds of dollars. Um, But then you're like, well, do I sell it or do I keep it? Is it going to be worth more later on? Uh, Hard to say. But what makes basketball cards or baseball cards or trading cards valuable? Well, there's kind of the whole, like, how many of them are there? Uh, How What condition are they in? And how eager are other people to get those cards? So there are probably a lot of these Tracy McGrady gold medallion edition cards, um, but not as many as some of the other ones. And so this one's worth a little bit more. I looked up the most expensive card. There's one from 18... I think it's from a, uh, just around the turn of the century. Uh, this guy started playing in 1897. His name is Hannes Wagner. Um, it's the T206 tobacco card. Um, has an advertisement for tobacco on one side and his has a picture on the other side. You can look it up. It's not all that impressive looking. If we found it, you know, just laying around, we'd say, oh, that's, that's an old card. Interesting. You know how much it's sold for? Most recently, it sold for $3.25 million. This card, it's been called the Holy Grail of sports cards. Now, you want to guess how many there are that are known in the world? there are, what would you say, seven? Sort of, 57. There are at least 57. But imagine, imagine the value if somehow 56 of those were lost or destroyed. How much then would the Hannes, what's it called, Wagner, T206, thank you. Do you know about this guy? No, okay. just a good memory. How valuable would it be then if 56 out of 57 were destroyed? It'd be way more than 3.25 million. Maybe 30 million, maybe more, depending on how eager people were to have one. Now let me ask you this. Who is worth more or what is worth more? That guy who's since died or his card? A piece of paper with a picture and an advertisement on the back or the person whom it represented? The person, obviously the person. A unique piece of paper may be worth a lot But a unique individual, and all of us are unique, is worth far more. In fact, in the eyes of God, just one of us, one irreplaceable human being, was worth infinity, was worth his own very life. That's how much God values humanity. He can't just replace us. If the guy who just purchased for $3.25 million, if he lost that card, he could buy another one for probably more. But if God loses just one of us, we're irreplaceable. Everybody is essential to God. He's trying to save everyone. And he wants to involve us. He's already using angels. He's already using the Holy Spirit. But he wants to work in us and through us to save as many more as we can. Who wants to be involved in this? Who wants to help God? Who wants God to use them? I mean, think about it. When we get to heaven, we're going to get to take a nap, we're going to get to set up a hammock by a river. We're going to get to do all sorts of amazing things, work on our mansion that Jesus has built for us. But now is the time, the only time we have, to help win souls to Jesus. And if just one person is saved through our influence, they'll spend an eternity thanking us. (laughs) They'll bump into them and they'll say, hey, Again, I am so thankful you took the time to share Jesus with me. Thanks for leaving that glow track laying around. Thanks for inviting me to those meetings. Thanks for bringing me to church. Thanks for that healthy cooking school that you put on. Thanks for what you did. Because your small part, your big part, whatever part you had, behind the scenes part, in front of the scenes part, your part was part of my journey for me being here today, and I am so eternally grateful. We're essential to God, everybody else is essential to God. So let's live like it, love like it, and work like it for Jesus. Father, we're thankful that in spite of ourselves, you love us. We can't tell and remember how many times you've sought us out when we've strayed from you, Jesus. But thank you for pursuing us. We're not to the finish line yet, Lord. Keep on working in our lives. But we pray that you will gift us and use us. Put ideas in our mind. New ministries to create for this church. People to reach out to. But Lord, use us, we pray. Help us to make a difference while we can and we'll rejoice in eternity beyond someday soon. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let all God's sheep say, Amen and Amen. God bless you and go find some sheep for God.